Ah, and we are live. Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to twitch.tv slash Takes by Fans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So, However you want to watch or listen, we've got you covered multiple ways. Alrighty, today is a big old Tuesday. We're going to be uh, talking about the NBA from last night, breaking down the NBA for uh, tonight's action, doing our moneymaker uh, for today's NBA playoff games, and then hopefully we can get um, get to the NFC South draft grades to finally finish it up. We were trying to do it yesterday on the show, ran out of time, classic there, but I think we should be able to squeeze in the NFC South, the Saints, Bucks, Panthers, Falcons, and uh, grade their drafts, and then we'll finally be done with the draft even though you know it's like two two months removed but so we've got that all today on the show so let's just jump right into it with the stories of the day and the first one up baby yes sir exactly 100 days until the start of the nfl season getting kicked off with the cowboys and bucks on thursday night football september 9th folks so 100 more days the countdown is on 100 more shows to go before we can get into the full swing of our kind of nfl schedule where we break down the games on Monday, cash and trash lists on Tuesday, film study Wednesdays. Folks, it's been killing me not doing those film study Wednesdays during this NBA season, but 100 more days, and we're back right on track. Thursday, guessing, predicting the lines, reacting to the lines. Friday, making our picks. Saturday, just kind of getting everything uh, right for tomorrow, which is Sunday, and that's the game day, baby, where we recap everything and get you right up to right up to the minute of those one o'clock games. So I cannot wait to get back into the full schedule, the full rhythm. And what do we got? Football for what? Five, five and a half months. So I cannot wait. We get an extra, uh, we get an extra week this year, an extra game for everybody. Ooh, that week 18. Ooh, cannot wait for that. So 100 more days, folks. We've gotten, you know, through a lot of it. We've gotten through the draft. We're just starting the training camp and now we can taste it. We can almost taste it. The preseason, the training camps. Uh, Richard Sherman is still out there to get picked up. Julio Jones trade should be happening by tomorrow. So we still got a lot to talk about to get ready for this NFL uh, season but 100 days folks let's count it down I cannot wait and I know y'all can't wait for it either so 100 days folks 100 more days 100 more shows you just have to listen to us 100 more times and you'll be fine and we'll all be there for the NFL season so Cowboys Bucks kicking off Thursday night football gonna be absolutely great Obviously, the Bucks, Super Bowl defending champions. Cowboys, you know, Dak Prescott return with the goof troop at the head coaching and defensive coordinator and the assistant of Ben, uh, not Ben McAdoo. Um, who was it? I'm blanking on his name. Um, is it Ben McAdoo? Am I tripping? Let me see very quickly. I've got a tweet that I can reference quickly. It's uh, Mike McCarthy, head coach, Dan, Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator. And come on. Come on. Actually, I should just do it like this. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ben McAdoo. I was right. Yeah, I mean, he's an assistant for this team. It's like, oh, all right, if y'all want to take advice from Ben McAdoo, y'all can be my guest, but I would definitely advise against that. But we'll see how the Cowboys are looking week one when they have to face that ferocious Bucks defense that just won the Super Bowl and they re-signed everybody and is still probably going to be absolutely great week one. So the Cowboys are definitely going to be in for it. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, how how truly upsetting for this Cowboys team and fan base that you have to go and face the Bucks in the first game of the NFL season. But we'll see how they play out. Uh, but 100 days, folks, we are almost there. Alrighty, let's talk about it. You know, we got Julio Jones. I'm saying that the trade is going to happen tomorrow. It's got to be after June 1st. Today is June 1st. And what's the day after June 1st? June 2nd. Tomorrow, Wednesday. The date that we've been pushing, we've been saying for the last two, three weeks here as this Julio Jones saga has really been starting to take off. So we get an article right here. Julio Jones trade market. Five teams that should be all in. Well, all 32 teams should theoretically be all in because, I mean, this is Julio Jones. I mean, a great wide receiver, a great tall, deep threat wide receiver that really would improve any team that he's on. So let's see who these five teams that should be all in on. And then we'll update the odds a little bit. Um, found a new source of odds because they were the most up to date. But I don't really agree with anything they said. So we'll talk about all that. So let's get right into it with the five teams that should be all in. Let's see what they're saying out here. Team number one is the new is the New England Patriots. Okay. I mean, we know they are the favorites of the odds of what we've seen from DraftKings being plus 450. When we look at this other website, sportsline.com, I've never heard of them, but uh, and I've never used them, but they are the most up-to-date odds. You know, DraftKings hasn't really updated their odds. Nobody else has really updated their odds, and this was just updated yesterday, so... The new odds here, according to Sportsline, it's the Titans' favorites at plus 200, which is absolutely fantastic. We would love to see Julio Jones be a Titan. Um, you know, once again, I mean, you would have to defend the pass game and the run game like they, what, like you have had to have been doing these last two years with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis as their two wide receivers. Uh, now they lose Corey Davis. They still got A.J. Brown. And then if you pair him up with Julio Jones with um, Derrick Henry in the backfield, I mean, we're talking about an almost unstoppable team. Ryan Tannehill just has to be an above-average game manager like he's kind of been this entire last two years stint with the Titans, getting to the AFC Championship game, getting to the playoffs last year. The defense definitely does need to step up and step it up a little bit, and we know they've been kind of, you know, scheming their defense a little bit and picking up some nice pieces in the offseason. So Titans, according to the sports line, is are the favorites at plus 200, and then the Patriots at plus 300 with the Seahawks also at plus 300. But what are we talking about with the Seahawks, folks? I mean, I truly do not see that happening. First of all, you've got DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf is going to be Julio Jones' But better. I mean, folks, when you just look at the look at DK Metcalf's stats, he's exactly coming out. He's only two years in, folks. DK Metcalf for the Seattle Seahawks, and he's following the same exact course that Julio Jones did his first two years. And what's better about DK Metcalf? Well, first of all, he's a lot faster. We all saw that with the chase down to the pick six. Almost should have been pick six. Um, chasing uh, DK Metcalf, chasing the defender down. I think it was Buda Baker that picked off Russell Wilson basically at the goal line. And then DK Metcalf got on his horse and chased him down basically 90 yards, bringing him down like two, three yards short of the end zone. So DK Metcalf is a little bit faster than Julio Jones. Obviously bigger. I mean, we've all seen D <laughs> we've all seen DK Metcalf shirtless, haven't we, folks? And we know he's obviously a, a, a physical specimen. 
and how ripped this man is. And also, he's taller than Julio Jones, 6'4". Julio Jones is 6'3", folks. But when we look at the stats of what DK Metcalf has done his first two years, it's exactly what Julio Jones has done his first two years. Year one, rookie year for DK Metcalf, 900 yards, seven touchdowns. What did Julio Jones do his first year? 959 yards, eight touchdowns. So 50 more yards and one more touchdown. That's basically the same. Catch percentage as well. DK Metcalf, his first year, not the greatest at 58%, but Julio Jones, 56% catch percentage his first rookie year. So, yes, exactly. Basically, first year, rookie year for DK Metcalf and Julio Jones, the same, the same. And then what happened year two? They both took that next step. Year two for DK Metcalf, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, 64% catch percentage. What did Julio Jones do? 1,100 yards. So, DK Metcalf outpaced him by 100 yards. Uh, Julio Jones had 10 touchdowns, exactly what DK Metcalf did and Julio Jones had 61% catch percentage so uh, DK Metcalf actually exceeded overall what Julio Jones did his second year so why do we really need Julio why do the Seahawks really need that big contract um, Julio Jones is getting 15 million dollars this year so you're gonna have to eat that contract if you get the trade or redo the contract year one which I don't think Julio Jones is gonna do he wants his 15 million We'll restructure it ne next year, but this year, I'm getting the 15 mil, so... I can't get behind the Seahawks being front runners or favorites for Julio Jones. And what would Russell Wilson say? Yes, obviously Russell Wilson would love to have another piece, but they've already got, you know, a solid core. Is, is it Doug Baldwin still? Am I bugging on that? Let me get that up very quickly. Um, their number two wide receiver, is it Doug Baldwin? Doug Baldwin, what do we got? Tyler Lockett, that's right. Doug Baldwin was the OG uh, for Russell Wilson, who who goes way under the radar, folks. Doug Baldwin and Russell Wilson, they, you've got to put them at, you know, top wide receiver quarterback combos. I don't want to hear it. But yeah, Tyler Lockett, absolutely fantastic. He had 1,000 yards last season. He's kind of your shorter, you know, wide receiver. You got the tall, you got the shorter, speedier one. Um, and, you know, so it's a good um, wide receiver core for Russell Wilson. Now, obviously, you would want as many weapons as you can. So, you know, that's why, you know, the Seahawks would be interested in getting Julio Jones. Then you've got three great A1 tier one wide receivers. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, the weapons isn't really what hurt Seattle. It's the line that didn't protect him and kind of the offensive coordinator that really wasn't spicing up the offense as the season progressed. So the weapons aren't the issue here in Seattle. Fix the line, get a more kind of adaptable offensive coordinator, which they've done already, to make uh, Russell Wilson happy. So I'm not buying that the Seahawks team is going all in here for the for Julio Jones, and I don't think it makes that much sense if they go out and get him. Um, so let's go back to these odds here. You know, we've all heard the stories about, oh, Seattle. I mean, we talked about it on the show. It's, you know, oh, Seattle. They, you know, Russell Wilson talked to him. So, of course, he, folks, I'm sure everybody was talking about Julio Jones saying, hey, Julio, you want to come here and we can make something happen? I mean, that's what they all talk about, folks. That's what they all, they all talk about. Hey, wouldn't it be great if, you know, me, you, and you, we all got together on the same team? Yeah, that'd be crazy. And then they all leave that, you know, that all-star game that they were talking at, and then they never talk about it again. Again, and then they all go different ways for the money, and that's really what kind of stops super teams getting kind of together, the money. Everybody wants to get theirs. 
But Seahawks being at plus 300, I'm not buying it. I'm not betting it. And what I don't like about Sportsline.com here, their odds, uh, the Rams. They got the Rams at plus 1,800. I honestly believe that Julio Jones is either going to the Titans or the Rams. That's, uh, that's really the only two clear choices. They're Super Bowl-ready contenders. Julio Jones can come in and be the A1 Tier 1 wide receiver. He's not going to want to go to the Patriots that has Cam Newton as a quarterback. He's not going to want to go to the Seahawks where he may not even be the number one option. I don't know. I think I'd take the younger, healthier spring chicken of DK Metcalf over Julio Jones, folks. Um, so, you know, I don't think he goes to Seahawks because he's going to be lost in the crowd there. I mean, he's going to be lost in the crowd in Atlanta. Maybe a reason why he wants out this year. They just drafted Kyle Pitts. Calvin Ridley is panning out absolutely fantastically. Um, so I just don't buy the Seahawks. It's really up. To, it's really the Titans and the Rams. And the fact that the Rams are plus eighteen hundred, I think it's truly disrespectful. I mean, they've got the Jaguars taking favorite odds over the Rams at plus fifteen hundred for him to go to the Jags. The Jags? Are you kidding me? Everything that Julio Jones has said, there is nothing that the Jaguars checked their boxes in. They're not a Super Bowl contender, and uh, Trevor Lawrence is not a a proven quarterback in this league yet. So there's no reason why the Jaguars should be favorites over the Rams. The Rams are Super Bowl contenders right now, and you got Matt Stafford, one of the biggest arms in the game. And then you got Sean McVay, who, um, you know, is the, this year is riding on him to be the offensive genius that he claims to be. He finally has his great quarterback that he wants, and, you know, so it's time to put up or shut up, and this is the year to do so with that great Rams defense. They've got the Dolphins above the Rams at plus 1,400. I don't really see that. I mean, maybe he goes to the Dolphins. Maybe he doesn't. There hasn't been a lot of chatter about that. Brian Flores isn't one to really overpay for players. And if you got Julio Jones, he cuts him next year like he's been doing the entire defense for the last two seasons. One and done. You get one year, and then you're out of here. We'll sign you big money, but you're, you're one and done. You're out of here next year. They got Washington plus 1,300, and I'm love. I'm rooting for the Washington football team this season. Don't get us wrong, but they are not even close to, once again, well, Julio Jones has told us where he wants to go, folks. We've heard it multiple times. Super Bowl contenders and a great quarterback with a great arm. He wants somebody like Dante Culpepper that can just launch the ball. Unfortunately, Taylor Heineke is not that guy, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, Nah, yeah, he slings it, but he's going to be throwing a lot of interceptions, and I don't think that's what Julio Jones wants. Oh, and not to mention the Washington football team is nowhere close to Super Bowl contenders. They're close to win the division like they did last year, but they're not even close to win winning the NFC. I mean, it's just too much talent there, unfortunately, for this kind of under-talented. They're very well coached. We love Ron Rivera, and we do support Taylor Heineke and their young weapons, but, I mean, it's a young team, folks. Uh, the Chargers at plus 1,200, the Colts at 1,000, Packers at plus 900, Raiders at plus 700. That's something I've been hearing a lot more, uh, the Raiders going out and get them. Uh, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Their car's got the big arm, but, I mean, the Raiders, I mean, do you want to be coached by John Gruden? I mean, folks, he's a great TV personality. Don't get us wrong. He was an excellent announcer for uh, Monday Night Football. We loved it, but as a head coach... What is he proven? What is he proven? He's got a ring that a team that he didn't even build. And he's floundering in the back half of the season. So, once again, the Raiders are not that Super Bowl contender that Julio Jones wants to go to. Julio Jones has gotten to a Super Bowl. He was one quarter away from winning a Super Bowl, getting that coveted ring that you need to have. 
or you're going to end up like Randy Moss. And that's another thing I want to talk about quickly before we move off, move off of this segment is what did Randy Moss look like when he finally went to a new team, when he went to New England, the super team that, you know, was there between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and Randy Moss. Their first year, 2007, they went 16-0, and folks, and they lost the Super Bowl. Truly unfortunate there, but Julio Jones, we have to talk about his age. Julio Jones is 32 years old, folks, really getting up there. When Randy Moss went to the Patriots and they went 16-0 and and he had 1,400 yards and 23 touchdowns in 2007, he was 30, folks. He was 30. What happened when he was 32? It was basically his last good year. So it's really one and done here for Julio Jones. Uh, Randy Moss's last year, 32 with the Patriots, 1,200 yards and 13 touchdowns. Still a great year, don't get us wrong, but that was his last good productive year. Then in uh, 2010, when he turned 33, he played for three teams. Nothing good ever. He didn't even, what did he get, like 300 yards between, 393 yards between three teams and five touchdowns, and then he retired after that. So, I mean, this is literally probably the last good year of Julio Jones. He's been, you know, kind of injured these last couple of years. Um, he hasn't played a full 16-game schedule in the last two years, 15 games in 2019, nine games in 2020. So really coming to the tail end of his career, you really only got one more year. That's why it's got to be Super Bowl contenders this year, not next year. We're rebuilding. We're going to get it done. We're building the groundwork this year. Next year is Super Bowl contenders. And I don't know, Julio Jones is running out of time, folks. 32 years old out here. We saw Randy Moss exit the game at 33. So how much more does Julio Jones really have in the tank, especially given his a little bit of an injury history there? So a lot of kind of risk reward here for Julio Jones, and uh, we'll see where he goes, but I just cannot see the Seahawks. I cannot see the Patriots. I really think it's coming down to the Titans or the Rams, and we'll know a lot more come tomorrow when the June 1st date has officially passed where the Falcons can save all that money against the cap. So We'll see where he goes, but, uh, you know, these lines right here, I don't know, <laughs> sports line, I mean, if you can go to sports line, if you're somewhere, you know, in the United States that can bet online, I would go to sports uh, sportsline.com and bet Rams plus 1,800, absolutely, absolutely, those are great odds right there, you put 100 bucks on that, you win 1,800 bucks, I mean, that's a pretty good investment in my opinion, I really think the Rams really should be the front runners right here. But like we said, we will know more tomorrow. And quickly, one more time before we uh, wrap up this uh, Julio Jones segment, let's see what these other four teams that are in desperate need that should go all in for Julio Jones. Let's see what we get. The Browns at number two. Patriots at one. The Browns at number two. Do they really? I mean, you've got a nice kind of star-studded cast of wide receivers. OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Tom... Richard Higgins, Austin Hooper at the tight end. So there's no really great um, tall wide receivers. I mean, Jarvis Landry short, OBJ short. What is Rashad Higgins? Is he like 6'1"? Yeah, he's 6'1", so nowhere, nobody really close to Julio Jones' height, but, I mean, they just got to the playoffs last year and went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. I mean, I don't know if really Julio Jones brings this team over the edge and they must go all in. I mean, it's the defense, it's the running game, it's the wide receivers. I mean, it's a complete team package. And once again, Julio Jones, is he going to be the favorite target and they'd probably have to lose one of their wide receivers to really kind of fit his cap of $15 million? 
Um, so I'm not, I don't, I don't see this Browns that I, we haven't even really talked about the Browns as kind of betting odds, even sports line who their odds are kind of trash here. They don't even have the Browns here. Um, it, it ends off with the chiefs at plus 2000. So I, I'm not, I don't, I don't know about the Ram or the Browns. The Colts at number three, I would love that. I mean, giving Carson Wentz, I mean, I, I think they win the Super Bowl this year. Like we've said, we are big on the Colts. They are kind of our early favorites of winning the Super Bowl. And if you have, you know, T.Y. Hilton and Julio Jones and Michael Pittman Jr., that is a wide receiver core, folks. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to see him go to the Colts. Something that we haven't really heard a lot about. We've heard a lot about the uh, the Titans, the Patriots, a little bit of the Seahawks just recently, and a lot about the Rams. So, uh, and uh, Sportsline has the Colts at plus a thousand. I would love to see that. I mean, that if I could play, you know, God in the NFL, I go and put Julio Jones on the Colts. That's what I would do. Uh, but we'll see where he goes. Number four is the 49ers. All righty, that quarterback controversy there. I don't know if Julio Jones wants to get kind of mixed up with that. And Julio Jones has played with Kyle Shanahan. He Kyle Shanahan blew the ring for Julio Jones, so I don't think he wants to kind of re-team back up with that, truly. And then team number five, the Raiders. We have been, like just today, we've been hearing about a lot about the Raiders um, going out and getting Julio Jones. Like I said, I don't know if he wants to play with John Gruden, another garbage coach. Same thing why he wouldn't want to go to the 49ers, a garbage coach in Kyle Shanahan. Not a garbage coach, but a choke coach. He just can't get it done in the big games, and that's what wins you rings and cements your legacy. So not the greatest that you're floundering at that point. But uh, like I said, we'll know more tomorrow on this Julio Jones saga and the trade. And, uh, you know, another thing that we do have to keep in mind and we'll evaluate it once the actual trade goes down is it did the Falcons do Julio Jones justice by sending him somewhere he wants to be or are the Falcons Falcons going to be greedy and selfish and send them somewhere where they are where the team the organization the Falcons are going to benefit more than the uh, Julio Jones because if Julio Jones goes to like what um, the, the Lions oh my god we know that's nowhere that Julio Jones wants to go so we'll know if the Falcons are going to treat them right as soon as the trade happens because we know where Julio Jones wants to go Super Bowl contenders with a good quarterback that's got a big arm so if he goes to a place that none of those check boxes are checked, then we know that uh, he got kind of disrespected by the Falcons. But we'll talk about all about that once the trade actual ha- actually happens. So come tomorrow, folks. I think that's when we're going to hear the news. But uh, it's not tomorrow yet. So we'll have to wait another 24 hours before we know anything concrete about Julio Jones. Alrighty, let's keep moving on here. <clears throat> the pressure turned up on Packers and Jordan Love with Aaron Rodgers' offseason absence. And yeah, I mean, the Packers have been kind of talking that talk silently through their actions of, all right, we're kind of getting prepared to move off of Aaron Rodgers like the Packers did with Brett Favre. Let's bring in Aaron Rodgers. We'll sit him for a couple of years. I think it was like three or three or four seasons that they sat Aaron Rodgers behind, uh, behind Brett Favre. So they they were kind of doing that with Jordan Love, and now we're hearing all this about Aaron Rodgers not showing up. So, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers is calling the Packers bluff. Hey, you know, I, I know how this works out, and I'm not I'm not dealing with it. I, I've seen it, and I've lived it, and I'm not going to be on the other side of it. 
So, uh, yeah, definitely big pressure on this Packers team coming up this season. If, uh, you know, the Packers were truly kind of big on Jordan Love, you know, maybe playing them a little bit earlier than they wanted to, but they're going to have to step up. They need to kind of, uh, they need to prove that they can be successful without Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Rodgers is going to kind of win that mental game of, yeah, yeah, y'all wanted to get rid of me. All right, you you made this bed that you have to lie in. That's not that's not my problem. You know, I I wanted to be here. I wanted to be the franchise guy. We're getting to the NFC Championship games, but you want to not do really anything to get us past that NFC Championship game. You want to draft my replacement first round. All right. Then go out and win with them. If you feel so confident about them, go win with them. Go win with them right now. So, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers still has not shown up. Um, I don't know if he's still in Hawaii or what's the deal with that, but, uh, you know, he's not at the team. He's not with the organization, and uh, Jordan Love's going to have to be prepared to go. He, Jordan Love's got to be in that mindset right now, at least, that, you know what, uh, hey, I'm kind of the starting quarterback. Regardless of what, you know, Matt LaFleur and the general manager for the Packers are saying, you know, oh, we want Aaron Rodgers back so bad. We love him. We respect him. He's the guy. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever do it, and we would obviously definitely want him. We've got no plans of trading Aaron Rodgers or – um, moving off of Aaron Rodgers anytime soon. So we've got two sides uh, here, and uh, Jordan Love's kind of caught in the middle, but he needs to be ready. He needs to step it up because if Jordan Love comes in flounders year one, I mean, the Packers will never hear the end of it in the media, in the fans, Aaron Rodgers lovers. I mean, they're all going to be absolutely attacking the Packers organization, and I really don't know if there's any coming back from that once that kind of official narrative is out there um, that Jordan Love cannot play. There's really nothing that this Packers team can do, and uh, you're really not going to find another Aaron Rodgers like that. So, we'll uh, we'll see what happens with this Packers team. Still got you know 100 days before the tip off of the uh, NFL season, so you know Aaron Rodgers has some time. Jordan Love has some more time to get better, and the Packers have a little bit more time to really kind of figure out what the heck they're going to do if Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up like he says. So, I mean, he's been telling everybody, "Hey, I'm not going to be there." So, you know, if they're promising you all this and that in free agency discussions, and uh, they're promising you know you're going to be playing with Aaron Rodgers. I've got other news for you. I'm not. I'm not there. I'm not there. Like uh, Magic Johnson. I'm not gonna be there. <laughs> I'm not. So uh, Jordan Love. Big, big pressure on this Packers team. They must. If truly Aaron Rodgers did not show up, they this Packers team must be at least competitive with Jordan Love this year. Alrighty, Patrick Mahomes is kind of, you know, he's getting a little bit too confident out here, a little bit too cocky, the head's getting a little bit big, he's, I mean, he's the front runner, I mean, everyone's already calling this man the future GOAT, he's already, you know, excelled and succeeded and won rings and has gotten to multiple Super Bowls, so his early career has definitely been great, kind of following the same track that, you know, um, Russell Wilson has been on so far. Coming in, never having a losing season, getting to two Super Bowls, winning one real early on in his career. And, you know, he hasn't been back in a couple of years. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes could follow that same trajectory. We'll see what happens this year. But he's got two quotes here that I'm not the biggest fan of. I'm not the biggest fan of. So let's talk about it here. So 
Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, quote, the only record I have my eyes set on breaking is going 20-0, and baby. Now that uh, the new 18-game schedule or 18-week schedule, 17 games, you get the week if you get the highest schedule. And if you're 17-0, and you're going to have that bye. And then the uh, three playoff games, to, uh, two playoff games and the Super Bowl, that gives you the extra three for the 20-0 and season. So, um, you know, this is great, you know, having, you know, high goals, obviously, you know, never losing a game, you know, that should be, that's really on everybody's mind. I mean, nobody goes into the season thinking, hey, you know, we're going to go 9-7 and seven this year, and that's going to be real great for us. We're going to be real, ha- or 9-8 uh, and eight now. Uh, we're going to go 9-8. and eight. We're probably going to lose eight games a season, but uh, we're still going to be, no, no, no. I mean, everybody has, you know, in those OTAs and training camps and, you know, before preseason, everyone's like, you know what, we're, we're not going to lose a game. I mean, nobody comes, goes into the season thinking. They're going to lose games. I mean, that's kind of a loser mentality. You definitely don't want. So I've got no problem with him saying that in that aspect. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes here being kind of quoted as, you know, the future GOAT and now setting these big goals. And we got another story we're going to talk about right after this one about, you know, once again, you know, Patrick Mahomes may be biting off a little bit more than he can chew so far. But let's see what what he says here in this article. So. Fittingly, Mahomes' new goal is to accomplish something that neither Brady, and he got really gosh darn close. We just told you the 16-0 season with Randy Moss. Man, oh man, just losing in the Super Bowl by three points. I think it was 17-14 to they lost. Truly, truly unfortunate against the Giants, against Eli Manning. Ugh, ugh, I know, I know Brady is losing sleep over that. So fittingly, Mahomes' new goal is to accomplish something that neither Brady nor any one quarterback ever has. The 25-year-old has made all sorts of history just a few years into what's quickly shaping up to be a Hall of Fame career. Once again, I mean, everybody's calling him the future GOAT and Hall of Famer and all that. But let's take take a little bit of a step back. I mean, we're kind of all saying this about Russell Wilson. Not as much as Patrick Mahomes. I definitely think Patrick Mahomes is definitely having a better early season just stats wise and just kind of play wise than Russell Wilson but you know that is a decent comparable comp of having real success early on in their career and then you know a couple of seasons you know of never really getting to an NFC championship game or anything like that but uh, here we go. Uh, where, where do we leave off of? He just uh, he said just one feat has his attention as he prepares for the, the 2021 campaign, leading his team to a perfect season. Quote, the only record I have my eyes set on breaking, which would be new this year, is going 20-0. That's not really a record to be broken, I guess you would say. But I think 19-0 is the record right now. So being able to go 20-0 to be the first one to do that, that would be awesome. And yeah, I mean, obviously that'd be awesome. I mean, everybody has their eyes set on having an undefeated season. I mean, the uh, the Steelers almost tried to do it last season and then Big Ben's arms kind of gave up on them. But... Well, we look at, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he does have the right to talk this talk a little bit. I'm not going to knock him. You know, I'm not, I'm not knocking him or blasting him for saying this. I mean, he's definitely proven that he should be talking this talk. I mean, ever since he came into this uh uh, Chiefs team, they haven't lost more than four games in the regular season. 2018, they went 12 and four. Uh, 2019, they went 12 and four. Just last year, they went 14 and two. Just lost against the Raiders, and then they didn't play. You know, the last week they didn't play all their starters. So, I mean, really, only lost two games last year. They got to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they lost that game too, but real close to you know a perfect season. And uh, if they beat that Raiders team early on in the season, um, they could have, you know, potentially been undefeated at the Super Bowl and maybe given them that maybe extra motivation to go out and win it. 
or maybe it gives gives Tom Brady even extra more motivation to beat beat the person that potentially could ruin his legacy and uh, you know make him look a little bad. Hey Brady, you went undefeated in the regular season, then lost the Super Bowl. I I I was able to cap it off. I was able to complete the perfect season. So um, maybe that would have given uh, given Tom Brady a little bit more oomph to go out and win it, even though they won it already. But uh, let's just see how, like, what quality opponents that this Chiefs team beat last season. They beat the Texans, not really a good win. The Chargers in overtime, I mean, early Justin Herbert. I mean, you shouldn't have gone to overtime with that. The Baltimore Ravens, early Lamar Jackson trying to figure it out. The Patriots with nothing. And then, you know, comes week five against the Raiders. That's where they lose. But then they beat the Bills, real quality win there. They beat the Broncos, the Jets, the Panthers, the Raiders. They did beat the Bucks in the regular season by three. That's a pretty, that's a real good, good quality win there. The late season Bucks, the uh, the Broncos, the Dolphins, the Saints. I'll give them a quality win there. And then the Falcons. So really, just last season, really only three quality wins. I mean, you're beating the Texans, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Broncos twice, the Jets, the Panthers. I mean, no really good quality competition right there. And uh, when they have to, uh, let's see, can I bring up their uh, their schedule for this year? I got that up. Let me see if I can bring that up very quickly. Let's see if it's even possible. I mean, is their competition even worse? I mean, is it going to be better than it was last season? Because last season, really nothing truly that difficult. I mean, you had to face the Bucks, all right. But, I mean, between those games, you were facing absolute garbage. I mean, so this year for the Chiefs, I mean, if uh, Patrick Mahomes wants to go undefeated, let's see what he has to go up against. So the Browns week one, the Ravens, that's definitely going to be another tough game to beat. Um, the Chargers, the Eagles, the Bills, Washington, Tennessee, the Giants, the Packers, the Raiders, the Cowboys, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Chargers, the Steelers, the Bengals, the, Bengals, the Broncos. So once again, pretty much a light schedule here. Their toughest competition. Um, uh, the Packers, the Titans, maybe. I mean, giving them a real, the Ravens, I mean, those are just the Bills. I'll give them the Bills. So maybe four real tough teams, but everything else is really kind of, you know, really winnable for this Chiefs team. So once again, a really kind of easy schedule for the Chiefs. Mm, I'm kind of getting sick of that, but, uh, you know, if you're the Chiefs fans, obviously not, but really kind of a doable schedule here at 2 go 20 and 0 so we'll see how the chiefs are performing do they finally take a step back they have never done that with Patrick Mahomes as kind of the as the starting guy out there so you know the 20 and 0 record is definitely breakable this year for uh Patrick Mahomes and this chiefs team so let's see if they go out and do it but then we get this quote by Patrick Mahomes. Once again, his head, you know, he wants all the smoke, and I can definitely get behind that. You know, if you want to be the best, beat the best. I definitely, you know, can respect that. But maybe putting a little bit too much pressure on yourself early on because you've had early success. I mean, it's hard to maintain consistent success more than kind of two or three seasons. So this is really kind of the make it or break it year for Patrick Mahomes. Can he go kind of four or five seasons straight of just being absolutely amazing and unstoppable? So. We get another quote here. Patrick Mahomes thinks Aaron Rodgers joining the AFC West team would be awesome. Quote, it would just make it a little tougher for us, but we're up for the challenge. So once again, I mean, 
I can respect you, you know, wanting to have, you know, the best competition, but I mean, you just went to the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. You were never really able to beat Tom Brady. You lost to him in the um, the the AFC Championship game when he was in the AFC. He goes to the NFC. He beats you in the Super Bowl. So I would kind of tone it down. You know, these last couple of seasons, you've really been facing a lot of lackluster opponents compared to what the Chiefs' overall roster is. And once you get to the big games against legacy quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers is still a legacy quarterback, even though he just can't win the NFC Championship game. So I don't know if this is the right thing to say out loud. You can think it. But to say this out loud and to put all this pressure and all this attention, this unwarranted, I mean, you you didn't need to do this. It's like, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster dancing on the logo before games. It's like you're really not getting anything out of it, and you're just adding more fuel to the fire uh, for your opponents to go out and destroy you. So ah, for that, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but let's see what this quote is. Maybe it's a little bit more clear. Or maybe it's even a lot worse than we were thinking of just kind of the clickbait uh, headline. But let's see what we get here. During his first annual 15 in the Mahomes Aloha Golf Classic, he's already got his own golf. He's even got his own golf classic so far. His own golf um, event. Jeez, jeez. Um, so during his first annual uh, 15 in Mahomes, 15 in Mahomes Aloha Golf Classic, I'd like to know the, the reason behind that name, uh, Mahomes told Bleacher Reports, Kayla Nicole, battling Rodgers twice a year would be fun. Quote, obviously it'd be awesome, Mahomes said, to have that challenge two times a year, every single year, would be a great, great opportunity. I mean, he's a heck of a football player. He's been doing it for a long time that I've watched that I've watched play and learned a lot from. But definitely, if he came to the AFC West, it would just make it a little t- little tougher for us, but we're up for the challenge. So once again, I mean, be careful what you wish for uh, Patrick Mahomes. It's not like you went out and beat Tom Brady over and over and over and over again. And Aaron Rodgers is worse than Tom Brady. I've got no problem saying that. We just saw the NFC Championship game. I'm I'm doubling down on my stance. Tom Brady will always be better than Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers will never be the greatest of all time. So maybe Patrick Mahomes is like, hey, I could actually be second best. I know it's going to be hard that I just lost head-to-head to Tom Brady twice. And I know Tom Brady's aging out of this league. I'm just coming in. So, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road when we're talking greatest quarterback of all time, it's going to be hard for me to go against Brady. But if I can go against Aaron Rodgers for these couple of seasons that Aaron Rodgers has left, and I can beat him, I can definitely cement myself as number two greatest of all time, trying to work my way up to that number one. So if that's what he's trying to, you know, get to here, hinting, maybe not trying to, you know, come out and say it because he's not going to come out and say that he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, he's not going to say that after everything that we've seen of Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to ever say that he's not the greatest of all time. He might be, you know, oh, I don't think about it or something like that, humbly. But uh, he's never going to come out and say, yeah, Tom Brady will always be better than me. He beat me head to head. He'll never come out and say that. So if that's what his line of thinking is here, trying to get Aaron Rodgers to the AFC West so we can go out and beat him twice a year, um, I think Pedro Mahomes could beat Aaron Rodgers twice a year head to head. I think I, I, I would have no problems betting on that and really thinking and rooting for that. But uh, maybe Patrick Mahomes getting a little bit too big for his britches here with all this kind of talk, all this big talk. And, you know, like I said, talk your talk. I've got no problems with you talking about stuff like this. It's just you now you have to back it up. 
You have to back it up. Now, that's why, you know, maybe keep these comments to yourself because now everybody's going to be talking about this. I'm talking about this. And uh, it's just putting more pressure on you and putting the more spotlight from us on you as well because we're going to be bringing up these quotes during the regular season and you know god for gosh forbid uh uh, Patrick Mahomes has a duck year and goes like what six and uh six and 11 is that right 17 games six and 11 he goes six and 11 we're gonna be like didn't you want all the smoke with Aaron Rodgers (laughs) didn't you think you could go 20 no and now here you are floundering um you know just because you had early success in this league it's hard to maintain that and now here you are Looking like a little bit of a bozo a little bit. But he's won the Super Bowl, so I give him a lot of credit for that already. He's been to two, so I give him a lot of credit for that already. But is he going to follow the same path that Russell Wilson has been following? Let's bring that up. When was the last time Russell Wilson has gotten like deep in the playoffs? Let me get that up real quick. I said it a couple times. Let me just double check my own narrative. Let's see. Um, Here we go. So they got to the Super Bowl. The last time they got to the Super Bowl was 2014. Then 2015, they lost a divisional round. 2016, they lost a divisional round. 2017, they didn't even make it to the playoffs. 2018, they lost a wild card. 2019, they lost divisional. Last year, they lost wild card. So once again, Russell Wilson uh, coming in and you know going to the Super Bowl two times in his first four seasons. Pretty gosh darn good, folks. He went back-to-back to Super Bowls. Only won one and never really was the same since. It just kind of, you know, long playoff runs. So, Patrick Mahomes here, you know, Russell Wilson is following the same trajectory. Let's uh, tone it down a little bit. Just a little bit. You can still be, you know, great because you are still great. But these wild expectations, I mean, nobody's went 20-0. I mean, the Dolphins did it, but... Um, uh, do I have the pillow in my room somewhere? I made a pillow in um, eighth grade, home ec class. That's got the day. I think it's 1973. Where, but uh, you know, the NFL season was shorter back then. So, um, yeah, I would just say Patrick Mahomes, maybe tone it down a tad, a tad, because you just kind of got beat by Tom Brady here, and now you want kind of the second greatest quarterback of all time. Let's see if you can beat that head to head. But, um, he believes in himself. I guess that's a silver lining, and we'll leave it at that. I guess. <laughs> so let's uh, let's keep going here. Alrighty, uh, Vikings cornerback Patrick Peterson is eager to return to Arizona to face the Cardinals. Quote, the one I circled is definitely week two. That's not even close. So Patrick Peterson, his entire career with the Cardinals, he ends up leaving to go to the Vikings now. But, uh, you know, it's hard to maintain, you know, greatest cornerback, lockdown cornerback. It's hard to do that more than, like I said, two or three seasons like Patrick Mahomes. It's hard to maintain success at the highest level, folks. I mean, it was Legion of Boom with Richard Sherman. And now look what Richard Sherman is. He doesn't even have a home, kind of aging out a little bit. Stephon Gilmore, he had a great 2019. He was Defensive Player of the Year. Took a little bit of a step back last year because, I mean, the Patriots defense wasn't, all great, so they had to rely on Stephon Gilmore, and he kind of, just a little bit, I mean, he's still a great cornerback, we're not saying that, but to be, to go from defensive player of the year, and then when, you know, everybody was opting out defensively for COVID for the Patriots, he didn't really step it up that much, that greatly, 
So Patrick Peterson here, you know, yes, uh, you know, once again, having this competitive edge to go and return to his former team, but, you know, he's 30, kind of aging out of the cornerback league a little bit. I mean, Richard Sherman's 33, and he can't give, even get a job now. And his, you know, his legendary career with the Seahawks and the Legion of Boom doesn't even get him a really spot now. We're 100 days away, like we said, away from the start of the NFL season. So Patrick Peterson... I love the, you know, love that you're looking forward to going back and facing your former team and trying to beat them, but you know, is he going to be is he going to be that great on the Vikings when he has to kind of be the main guy cuz we know the Vikings defense wasn't that great last season. So, Patrick Peterson really going to have to be in this veteran presence, this veteran leadership, and his plays definitely going to have to speak for himself. So, um, I love Patrick Peterson. He's one of the greatest cornerbacks to do it. I mean, I'm not going to call him top five, but I'll put him in top 10. I think I've got no problem with that. Maybe top 15. But it is hard to maintain this high level of success. So we'll see how he goes out and faces the Cardinals when he goes and returns to that week too. But once again, putting a lot of pressure. I've got no problem you talking your talk and, you know, whatever fuels your fire and whatever motivates you, go ahead and by all means do it. But once again, putting a lot of pressure on you just because you were good and, you know, at the top of your game for a couple of seasons, he kind of was floundering in the back half of his career with the Cardinals. That's why they, you know, didn't re-sign him and, you know, let him walk. So... Just once again, it's hard to maintain. We have to remember that. It's hard to maintain consistent levels of high success. I'm not talking about, you know, being average. I'm talking about being in the one of the top three in your position. It's hard to do that. Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, they are true outliers and really have kind of warped a lot of people's thinking, but we have to remember, you know, the average length of the NFL, of an NFL career is like three years, and to, uh, you know, to be one of the top year in and year out, it's hard to do that. That's why, you know, the Falcons made it to one Super Bowl and haven't been the same since. Uh, that's why the Rams have, you know, went to the Super Bowl, and unfortunately for Jared Goff, has never been the same since. Um, same thing kind of with the, with the 49ers. They got to the Super Bowl, kind of never been the same since, but We'll see uh, how Patrick Peterson is playing in week two. So we'll definitely keep uh, a big eye on that. His return to Arizona. All right, and talking about kind of cornerbacks here that maybe have ran their course a little bit. Jets signed former 49ers defensive end Ronald Blair. Blair is reunited in New York with Jets head coach Robert Sala. So Ronald Blair played with Robert Sala. Uh, or played under Robert Sala with the 49ers for about three seasons. I've got it up somewhere. Hang on. Here we go. Um, yeah, 2016 he came into the league. Robert Sala got to the 49ers in 2017, so they played about three seasons together, and Robert Sala goes out and gets him back to the Jets. Once again, Richard Sherman played under Robert Sala for a couple of seasons, I think. Do I have that up? I think I do. Uh, Richard Sherman, he played under Robert Sala for three seasons, 2018, 2019, then this season, 2020, and he still hasn't gotten a call from Robert Sala. And we heard early on, as soon as the season ended last year, Richard Sherman's like, I'm not going to be a 49er anymore. I'm kind of out. And he was talking up the Jets. He was trying to recruit all those quarterbacks, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, who early on in this offseason were kind of questionable on where they were going to play. Uh, Russell Wilson is really back solidified of saying in Seattle, Deshaun Watson, and that's still a big old question mark. We don't even know what's going to happen with. But, you know, Richard Sherman not getting a call from Robert Sala and Robert Sala calling these other players, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with you. Let's get you here. I want kind of 
players that I can trust that I'm familiar with because year one rookie head coaches I mean you need to have you need to start having success or you're gonna pan out like Matt Patricia he'll never get a head coaching job ever again in this in this league and if he does it's 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 a foolish decision and any team that rehires Matt Patricia as a head coach should be instantly the general manager and the owner should be forced out of their positions for that decision. So it's a little interesting here. Once again, going back to that Patrick Peterson, it's hard to maintain that high level of success. Richard Sherman can't even find a home now. He is a little older than the Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson, like we said, is 30. Richard Sherman is 33. So a little bit more aging out of the league that uh, Richard Sherman is. But still, you don't think, you know, you know, just that veteran presence for Richard Sherman, you don't think Robert Sala would love to, ha love to have that on the team? And it's real weird that Robert Sala did not sign Richard Sherman to the Jets. His first time coaching wants to have that veteran leadership in those players that he can trust and maybe he just can't trust Richard Sherman. So not the greatest sign here for old Richie boy. Now, maybe what gives this maybe a silver lining for Richard Sherman is that they just signed him today. So maybe we're going to start, start to see all these kind of free agent signings after kind of the OTAs are starting to wrap up. All right, what do we actually have? What do we actually need? So maybe this is when we start to see Richard Sherman get signed. But if, you know, we're going to go two, three weeks with still Richard Sherman not signed to the Jets, it's not the greatest look for Richard Sherman. So, um, yeah, Ronald Blair re-teaming up with Robert Sala. And we'll see if uh, Richard Sherman re-teams up with Robert Sala too. But it's not looking the best for him out there. Alrighty, next story up, talking about the Saints here with Taysom Hill. So, Taysom Hill, quote, uh, there is no replacing a Drew Brees, and absolutely not. I mean, Drew Brees was a magnificent talent, truly a pity that he only won one ring. Those multiple 5,000 seasons will always be cemented. Nobody will ever touch those because the, the era is over. The era of 16 games and 5,000 yards is over, and nobody has more than one, and there's only I think 10 quarterbacks that have one and Drew Brees has five, four or five, 5,000 yard season passing yards. Everybody else only has one if they have one and it's tough to have one. I think Brady, I, I don't, does Brady even have one? If Brady has one, I, it's only one. Definitely. Like, uh, there's no quarterback with multiple besides Drew Brees. So that era has officially closed now because now we're talking about an extra game. Those play, These quarterbacks are going to start getting 5,000 more yards a little bit more regular. It's still going to be a great achievement. It's still a great feat, but it is going to be a little bit watered down. So yes, there's definitely no more replacing Drew Brees. He is cemented as forever the greatest 5,000-yard passer in NFL history. So congratulations to Drew Brees on that. But uh, let's see what Taysom Hill is saying in this article right here. Let's see if we get any more context to this quote. And let's see how he's uh, kind of doing. And uh, we know the uh, quarterback duel going on between Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston for the starting quarterback job. So Hill told Rod Walker, Walker of New Orleans Advocate, that he is gearing up to win the gig, but knows there is no stepping right into Breeze's big shoes. I mean, huge shoes to fill. Big old clown shoes to fill. All right, quote, I think the thing I realized first and foremost is there is no re replacing a Drew Brees. And that's definitely a mindset you have to be in. You can't have the mindset of, all right, I got to do exactly what Drew Brees says. No, no, no. Just go out and be your own guy. We already liked you of what we've seen in that short sample size from him last season. So we know he can go out and play and make all the throws. He just can't kind of replicate his game over Drew Brees. Be Taysom Hill. Be the new Drew Brees. Be the next Drew Brees of New Orleans. So I, I like that quote right off the rip. 
Back to the quotes here. Uh, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. Absolutely. But I think as I get ready to enter the NFL, my goal and my mindset was just to do everything I can to have an opportunity to be a guy because there are only 32 starters in the NFL. So as I look forward into this year in training camp and OTAs in the season, I'm really just excited about having that opportunity. That has been the goal and the mindset since I was a rookie in 2017, first entering the NFL. So it's definitely something that I'm not taking lightly and I'm going to give it everything I got. And that's a great quote here. We've got Jameis Winston who came in, was a starter, was kind of really hit and miss. He has the arm and he has the touchdowns. Nobody's denying that, but it never translated to wins because for every touchdown, he had an interception just as... Just as good as those touchdowns were looking, there were some bad interceptions. The 30 for 30 season, something that is truly wild to even think about. So we get... Uh um, Taysom Hill in this mindset of, hey, I had, you know, I didn't come in, you know, with a surefire starting job. I wasn't even a quarterback and I'm still a quarterback. So I was just trying to do whatever I could, wherever you needed me, wherever I fit in, whatever I could do for the team to help it out just to be a starter for this opportunity. Because I knew Drew Brees wasn't going to be here forever. And I knew that I'm still a quarterback of heart. And we're going to get to that quote in a second. But you know, I just wanted to be a guy on this team. I've done that. So now that I have proven I can do that, I can go out and fill, try to fill the shoes of Drew Brees here because they need a starting quarterback now. So let's uh, keep going here with this article. I believe there's another quote I want to get to. The 30-year-old, and he is 30, so um, those longevity stats that Drew Brees has, he's never going to be able to chase that. So you're already kind of years behind in that kind of yards and progress. So he has to kind of just be his own new player now. Uh, the 30-year-old noted that after growing up, always playing quarterback, he believes that learning those other roles will prove more difficult than transitioning back to quarterback. Hill added that focusing solely on being a signal caller will be a big boon in his quest to replace Breeze after years of being in multiple position meetings. Quote, yeah, it's nice, Hill said, on of focusing on being a quarterback. Quote, look, at the end of the day, and when I first got here and I started doing all this stuff, the answer when I was asked, hey, what's the end goal for you, has always been to play quarterback. So, you know, he's not a gadget guy. He was just doing that because, you know, he's not, he, I mean, you're always going to take Drew Brees over Taysom Hill. I mean, that's always forever going to be the case. So wherever he could fit in to get that opportunity to still build, to start building some repertoire with the squad, with the team, with the coaches and all that. That's why he was at the quarterback position. But don't make no mistake about it. He is a quarterback, folks. Um, I'm a quarterback at heart, and that's my mindset. This is That is really nice when I can uh, tailor all of my offseason program on being as good of a quarterback as I could possibly be. So we saw him last season real solid. I think um, let's get his official stats up so I don't have to try and recall. But I think he went like, uh, I think he played four games and he went three and one. Let's get that up really quickly. All right, Taysom Hill here. Last season, he started eight games. And uh, hang on, let me get to the game logs. All right, he started eight games and went... Um, you get a win here? Um, all right, here we go. Here we go. All right, all right so started um, week 10, game 10 against Atlanta. Got the win. Uh, played the next game against Denver, got the win. 
played the next game against Atlanta, got the win, and then he got the loss, his last start against Philadelphia, but still only lost by three points, so it was still in that game, but, you know, three and one in his kind of four official full game starts for him, and, you know, pretty solid work out here, 78% completion percentage, 56, game number two, not the best game, but he still pulled out a win and still put up 31 points, even though he, even though he threw for only 78 yards, no touchdowns, and zero, and one interception, so just being the game manager, uh, game two, 72% completion, 232 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. His last game that he lost, 73% completion percentage, 291 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. So he was looking real good, and that's while him being in the tight end meeting room and th these all their skill position meeting rooms that we just referenced in the article. So now that he can kind of focus this entire OTAs, this offseason, the training camps, as a pure quarterback what we just saw, what he did when he was kind of, you know, 50-50 in and out of a quarterback, he went 3-1 and was looking real solid out there. 70% completion percentage, three out of those four games. Give me that. Give me that all day. And that's with him splitting his mind in half between a quarterback and a gadget guy. So now he's got 100% mental capacity on being a quarterback. What can this man what can what could this man do? Probably very, very good. So I cannot wait to see what Taysom Hill is doing here for the Saints team. And uh, Jameis Winston, I mean, it's going to be a good quarterback battle. I'm a little upset I can't be there every single practice to see how they're both faring uh, throughout this offseason for the next 100 days before the NFL season officially ki uh, kicks off. But, yeah, I mean, uh, this man could be dangerous, folks. This Taysom Hill could be real lethal as a dual-threat quarterback. We know he has the speed. We saw him really kind of make all the throws already in those four games that we saw him last year. So, Watch out for Taysom Hill, a full, clean mind in this offseason of being a starting quarterback. The, the sky's the limit for this man. So watch out for Taysom Hill this year, and I think he can win that starting job. So we'll see. All righty, let's go on to another quarterback going into his second year here. Joe Burrow wants the Bengals offense to be, quote, more explosive down the field in 2021. All righty, well, they definitely have the weapons to do that. Here we go. I mean, you got Tyler Boyd, who is um, 6'2". He caught 841 yards last season. You bring in Jamar Chase, the rookie. We know he's not the tallest, but he know he's six foot and has got some great speed to get behind the defense for the to take the top off the defense for those long balls. And then you got T. Higgins, who is 6'4", who caught 900 yards. So you definitely have the pieces to have a deep ball offense next season. This season coming up. So let's see uh, what this article is all about here for Joe, Joey B coming off the injury going into his second year, wanting to be better on the deep ball. So discussing his return to action with Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated, Burrow said one area he needs to improve in year two is his deep ball accuracy to create more explosive plays. Quote, there was some good and some bad from 2020. I like to be uh, I like to be more explosive, and I think I was really good in quick game situations. On fourth down, we were really good. Empty, we were really good. But we need to be more explosive with play action passes. All of our downfield passing games needs to improve. All right, and get ready for this because this is this is exactly what he means by being better at the downfield uh, throwing. So here we go. Burrow completed just nine of forty-six pass attempts of twenty-plus air yards in twenty twenty for two hundred and ninety-three yards and one touchdown. 
That is not good. 9 of 46 on uh, balls more than 20 yards in the air. Ooh, it's 19.6 completion percentage, folks. That's absolutely atrocious. So absolutely, he definitely needs to be better on the deep ball. This is something that we definitely need to track. He's got the weapons to do so, but we need him, we need him to get better. And we know we give rookies. I mean, Justin Herbert just had an outlier year of how great he was. But, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, we're going to give him the benefit of the, uh, the doubt here. But, you know, coming off the injury and then trying to kind of tackle this issue as well, it may be a little bit too much for him in year two. Maybe we have to start maybe realistically adjusting him to maybe a year three leap like we saw with Josh Allen. Not good year one, not good year two, great year three. Daniel Jones, not really that great year one, really took that step year two, but really we're looking for a breakout season year three, so maybe we have to start tempering our expectations on Joe Burrow just a little bit here, that he's really not going to make that next leap year two, it's realistically looking at year three, because I mean, to come off this injury and then try to do better than 19.6% completion percentage on 20 yard throws, ooh, it's, it's a hard feat to overcome all this kind of coming together. So, uh, another quote here, I just wasn't accurate as I was the year before at LSU down the field. Well, of course, college defenses don't play defense. So, once again, I mean, we see all this hate for Tua, but his accuracy was absolutely fantastic. It was just the wide receivers that were the knock and the play calling that was the knock. Joey B is out here throwing 9 of 46 on 20-plus air yards, and, you know, everybody's still praising him as, you know, better than Tua and still going to have a better year. So, it's all relaxed. I don't understand where all this Tua slander is coming from. Um, and I don't like it and I don't respect it and I do not agree with any of it. But, uh, you know, we get stats here of Joey B absolutely trash downfield and everyone's like, yeah, this man's going to be fantastic and fine is the next Tom Brady. Mm, let's relax a little bit on all this folks. So I just wasn't accurate as I was the year before at LSU. How funny is that to say? Of course, folks, we, we saw what Mac Jones was at Alabama. Everybody was wide open. So he's not going to be good in this league, Mac Jones. So a uh, real funny quote here. I just wasn't accurate as I was the year before at LSU down the field. How funny to say. And that was, end quote, uh, quote, and that was frustrating to me because I've always been a good down the field thrower. Yes, in college, the NFL is the next step. Does he not realize? I mean, your competition is getting harder. You're facing grown men and not garbage defenses that maybe have one good player on their entire 175 roster that they can have. Nobody can have their number to themselves because everybody, there's so many players on the team that people are sharing numbers. So, Joe, Joe Burrow, you were really frustrated because you 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 didn't think you were going to come in year one and be great throwing the ball down the field. It's tighter windows. It's tighter coverage. It's better defenders out there. Not everything is 20 to 15 yards wide open down the field. So not the, I don't like this quote from this man. It was just kind of what his thinking was coming into the season. I'm all for, you know, buying into yourself and thinking what you can do. But uh, this quote of, you know, saying that it was frustrating because you couldn't replicate what you did at LSU year one in the NFL. Mm, I don't know about that. Um, just, uh, just getting back to the basics of that, really focusing on my fundamentals. I just started running and throwing a few weeks ago. That's not good. Just coming back off that injury, he just started to throw and run a couple weeks ago. Once again, I mean, this year too, I, I, we really have to start tempering our expectations for Joey B in year two. Um, I just started running and throwing a few weeks, a few weeks ago. So standing and throwing and focusing on the fundamentals help. So 
He's got the weapons to go downfield, but we need Joe Burrow to step it up a little bit come next season. And uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't think we can start buying into Joe Burrow here year two. But we'll see how he's looking, how he comes off the injury, how he's looking week one, seeing if he's progressing, if he's regressing, and uh, seeing how this deep ball is looking. Because 9 of 40, what do we say? 9 of 41, 9 of 46? Absolutely atrocious. Jeez. Alrighty, let's head into some NBA stories. Here we go. Anthony Davis is unlikely to play today, folks. So that's going to be a huge knock, and I think we're automatically going to be taking the points or swallowing the points, whatever this line is. And it will be truly kind of disrespect to the Suns team if they are kind of uh, underdogs at home here, if they get plus points here. We'll gobble that up all day. That's going to be great value. If the Suns get any type of points tonight, that's going to be absolutely great value here. But, uh, yeah, Anthony Davis unlikely to play, and then it's just LeBron James. How much can he handle on this kind of lackluster supporting cast of the Lakers? Because with no Anthony Davis, we got to rely on Andre Drummond more. We got to rely on Kyle Kuzma more. You got to rely on Dennis Schroeder more. And we know that Chris Paul can lock him up. So it's not looking good, and LeBron's going to have to drop. He's going to have to be on his Jason Tatum, dropping 40 to 50 points every single game if they want a chance to win without Anthony Davis. So we'll see what the line is in a couple of minutes when we get to uh, that segment but um, yeah no Anthony Davis most likely so we'll take those points with the or we'll swallow the points we'll take the points whatever the line is with the Suns Alrighty, another day and another another fan going absolutely wild. Why are fans going wild now, folks? Now, this is no assault, so it's a little bit better than what we've been seeing of the water bottle and uh, um, what was what else? The spit, the water bottle, the spit, the popcorn. People just love throwing things. Bodily fluids, food, it doesn't matter. Drinks, food, drinks, bodily fluids. Let's all relax on throwing that stuff at players. I mean, you wouldn't do that in real life, so why are you doing that to athletes that you paid to watch? Now you're banned for the stadium for life. How clownish. But this time, a fan runs onto the court, and he gets tackled by security. So a fan is running onto the court during play. I mean, they're running back down the floor, folks. This man is just absolutely wild. And he just wanted to see if he could touch not. But I think the real funny thing is here, and we're going to break it down kind of frame by frame here. Um, I don't even think he touched. I mean, he just ran onto the court to, like, jump at the bucket. And I don't even think he gets close to the net. So let's see how high up he gets here. He touches the bottom of the backboard. Not bad. Not bad. But, I mean, that's what you went for. I mean, that was your big glorious moment to go out and on the floor while play is happening to touch the bottom of the backboard. At least try to go for the dunk. Let me see if you can touch rim. And then maybe you can get signed. Maybe this would be all worth it. You getting arrested and tackled by the security guard. If you could touch the net or if you could touch the rim, maybe a scout is like, okay, this man can jump. Maybe you can play basketball. Maybe we can sign him. Um, but you touch the bottom of the backboard. That's not impressive anybody i can do that i could i can almost sunk almost um but yeah i mean this man just risks it all to touch the bottom of the backboard and then security tackles him and then he kind of you know gives up you know gives up all right I'm, I'm getting arrested that's fine i'm not trying to resist i just wanted to touch the bottom of the backboard for some reason so hope it was worth it but fans can we all just relax a little bit i mean uh, why why do you have to just kind of 
go wild, like truly go wild with the, the spitting and the throwing and the walking on the court. I mean, we haven't really seen that in the NBA. We get that in football and definitely a lot in baseball uh, going on the field, but we never really got that in the NBA going on the court like that. So uh, fans have just been locked up and cooped up so long in the, during this COVID year, and they are just acting fools out here. So let's all try to get it together a little bit out here. Um, and if you're going to go on the court, at least try to dunk. Bring your own ball and try to dunk. Do something impressive, not touch the bottom of the backboard. Alrighty, the last uh, thing to talk about here, and then we'll move on to the NBA from last night. Um, a lot of people are taking this kind of Kyrie stomping on the logo a little bit too far. We just, you know, we I, I don't care if you dance on the logo like Juju Smith-Schuster did. I don't care if you stomp on the logo. I don't think I think it's playful disrespect. I don't really think you know we need to be talking like we're talking. We're what we're, what we're gonna get to in a second, but. The only reason that we had a, pr a problem with Kyrie Irving doing it the other night is because he always plays the victim and then, you know, he's woe is me, like I never do anything wrong. Well, it's like, you know, you're adding fuel to the fire during all this, so you're kind of asking for the for the comments and the disrespect by the fans, playful disrespect, not the water bottle, that is never that is never warranted, that is nothing that we're endorsing, but the comments of, you know, how, you know, Kyrie Irving's not a leader, that we say a lot, um, how, you know, he's just a bad teammate and all this the 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 words we're fine with not the racial slurs obviously but you know saying that he's trash and all this you know he's asking for it while he's doing this so you can't have it both ways you know oh I don't want to go to the media because they're going to ask me questions on this and you know it's unfair that they're targeting me with these questions well it's like no, you are still adding fuel to the fire here, stomping on their logo after a win. It's a little unnecessary, and I, like I said, I've got no problem with it, but we have a problem with it because you're acting like, hey, I never do anything wrong. And then you go and complain and get fined because you didn't uh, show up to the media, and then when you now you have to show up to the media because you don't want to get fined anymore. It's like, oh, I don't understand why they keep doing this to me. Me, I'm the victim here. I'm always the victim. It's like, let's look at what you're doing and your actions a little bit and see if you could do anything differently not stopping on the logo now nobody's talking about it but once again this Kyrie Irving story gets blown up because it's Kyrie Irving and he never does anything wrong but uh, uh, Glenn Davis goes to Twitter and says real bullshit like I said you step on lucky that's the logo of the leprechaun you step on lucky you step on everybody that played for that team Mm, uh, no, what? Why are we taking this like so to heart, so deep? What is that about? Uh, keep the shit basketball before somebody get hurt in real life. What? What? You're you're really putting that much stake into the logo, saying you know if you step on that, you're disrespecting everybody that's ever played for that team. Keep the shit basketball before somebody gets hurt in real life. You're ready to choose violence because somebody stepped on a logo to disrespect you. What? what? What is that thinking? I don't. I can't get behind that. So people are taking this way, way too far here. And then Kevin Durant comments, and he's got a point here. Just crying, laughing emoji. Um, and then has some words at the end that I cannot say. But just like that, like yeah, that's like what? What are you talking about, dude? What? First of all, you're not even in the league anymore. So why don't you uh, uh, stop? <laughs> because uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Like you're putting this much stake into the logo that you're ready to like assault somebody physically because they disrespected the logo. That's the that's the comp that's the competitiveness, the competition, playful disrespect, not taking it out of the realm of basketball. That's still basketball. It's the court. They're running up and down. They're stepping on the logo just because he came and did a little extra stomp at the end of the game. 
they're disrespecting everybody. They're, he's disrespecting Larry Bird by doing that. What? What sense does that make? So, um, just uh, this entire Kyrie Irving situation, folks. It's truly frustrating, and then wait for next week or a couple weeks where you know the, the where he actually comments about it, and you know it was like, yeah, I mean they're all attacking me now, and you you see, you see they all everybody always attacks me. I'm the only one that gets attacked here, and it's just like, all right, all right, Kyrie, whatever you say, whatever you say, Kyrie, truly. So, uh, we'll see what's 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 up tonight. What fan is gonna go crazy tonight? We're hopefully none, but you know it's like literally the last like four or five days in the NBA, somebody's going absolutely nuts on something. So we'll see what's up tonight. Hopefully nothing. Alrighty, those are all the stories that we needed to cover for today. So let's head over to the NBA. We'll break down the games from last night. We'll do our moneymaker for tonight's section. And I don't even know if we're going to get to the draft grades. We'll try, folks. I'm trying here. I'm trying out here. There's just a lot to talk about. I don't know what you want from me. Uh, So we'll see if we can finally uh, fit in the last division for the draft grades, the NFC South. So we'll see how how far we get here today. But it's live, folks. You never know what's going to happen. You know, isn't that the good part of the show? No? (laughs) Alrighty. Here we go. First game up. 76ers and the Wizards from last night. And the Wizards extend the series. So the Heat are kind of looking like a little bit of clowns out here because they're the only team to get swept. No other team can get swept. Every team has at least won one game. And the Heat and the Bucks were the only team uh, to do a sweep. So very well done in the Bucks. We have them being the NBA champions. And that gives us a little bit of uh, validation so far. So we'll take that. Uh, but the Heat, not the best look for them getting to the finals in the bubble and then getting swept. I mean, the Wizards didn't get swept, but there is some context to take to this Wizards game, so let's get into this. Joel Embiid only played 11 minutes, unfortunate. Um, and, you know, hopefully this isn't going to be a big injury. Hopefully it's just, all right, a precaution. We're up 3 nothing. We can kind of afford to lose this game on the road. We can't afford to lose Joel Embiid for the rest of the playoffs, so we're not going to win the ring. No chance if we don't have Joel Embiid. So let's just take it very, very slow with him. So the 76ers didn't really have Joel Embiid for the entire game, and the Wizards took advantage. And they ended up winning uh, 122-114. to Now, what else did the Wizards do last night? Daniel Gafford in the starting lineup. Exactly what we've been calling for. After game one, we would have put Daniel Gafford in that starting lineup. Finally, he gets out there and he plays absolutely well. Not only did they play Daniel Gafford in the starting lineup for 25 minutes, they also also played Alex Len for only a minute off the bench and gave Robin Lopez those extra minutes. Um, so that's fantastic. Alex Len cannot play live and die by Daniel Gafford and Robert Lopez off the bench. That's how I would do it, and the Wizards did that, so absolutely fantastic. Now, now, let's uh, say this as well, that uh, Daniel Gafford in the starting lineup in the first quarter got into foul trouble real early on, so he couldn't really go against Joel Embiid, and they were kind of losing in that first quarter. Uh, So it was a lot of context in this game, but at the end of the day, the Wizards pull it out. So we give a lot of credit to this Wizards team. Uh, Bradley Beal was on fire. So let's go over this Wizards team first. Russell Westbrook, he put up 19 points, not efficient at all. He got to the line 16 times. That's where basically all of his points came from because he shot 15% on 19 shots. Absolutely garbage. 0-4 from the three as well. But 19 points from the free throw line, 14 assists, 21 rebounds. Absolutely what he does. Uh, He had four turnovers this game, kind of, you know, what we're willing to give him. Bradley Beal, 27 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds. He shot 2 of 5 from 3, hitting some nice clutch shots um, when they were down to really reclaim the lead and all that. So, well done to that. 
Daniel Gafford at the starting five, 12 points, four rebounds. He's a plus nine on the floor. Love seeing that. Um, Rui Hachimura, some big shots as well. 20 points on 66% shooting from the field. Three of six from three. Clutch shots, 13 rebounds to go along with that. And then Davis Bertan, uh, uh, Davis Bertans, 15 points, four rebounds. He shot three of six from the three, four of seven overall from the field. So not a bad job here by the starters. And they got some great contribution off the bench. Like we said, Robin Lopez without Joel Embiid. He's free to do whatever he wants. 16 points, 5 rebounds off the bench, and he shot 72% in 18 minutes. So absolutely fantastic there. And uh, Raul Neto off the bench, 11 points, 3 rebounds on 50% shooting. So the shooting was pretty solid here for the Wizards, except for Russell Westbrook. But uh, we'll see what's going on with Joel Embiid because if Joel Embiid's back, I still can't see the Wizards team winning, even though they have Daniel Gafford in the starting lineup. I still give it to the 76ers. So hopefully this injury for uh, Joel Embiid, which I believe is a right knee, knee something. Let me see if I can bring it up quickly. Davis Bertans is out four to six weeks, so that's not great. Um you know, he's probably their third best score shooter of the basketball. Russ, Beal, Berton. So they're definitely going to be missing that as well. Um, all right. Where's, um, we don't get any information on Joel Embiid. Uh, just a little bit of a knee injury. So, uh, what, what do we got? Um, yeah, just a knee. So not the best when you're a center and you rely on the knees. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully it's nothing too bad for Joel Embiid here, and we'll know when they play again. But uh, let's talk about this 76ers team now. Ben Simmons, a little bit of a liability. He shot 5 of 11 from the free throw line. Jeez, Louise, come on, Ben. They were doing Hacka Simmons, how they did Hacka Jordan during those Clippers Lob City days, and that's really why they never won a ring because in the playoffs they were just hacking DeAndre Jordan and they would literally lose the game because of that. They, they, they did the same thing with Ben Simmons last night and it ended up getting them the win. So I respect it. I don't like it. I think it's a lame thing to do, but if you're trying to win, Hey, go out and do it. I've got no problem with it. But Ben Simmons, 13 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists. He shot 5 of 11 from the free throw line. Only took 5 shots all game. And he hit 4 of them. But that free throw line, what the hell, man? Truly losing them the game last night. Uh, Seth Curry, 10 points, 2 assists, 2 rebounds, 0 4 from the 3. Got to extend the floor from the 3, man. Seth Curry, that's all you're there to do. You're the fourth option. Hit the 3, please. Joel Embiid, 8 points, 6 rebounds in only the 11 minutes that he played. Tobias Harris, leading scorer of the squad. We can always rely on that, man. 21 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. He didn't shoot well, 1 of 5 from the 3, uh, 33% on 24 shots, but he was still able to score some points out there. Nobody else could, so I'll give him a little credit. And then Danny Green, 11 points, 3 rebounds, 3 of 8 from the 3. Just all right there. Nothing spectacular. Can never count on Danny Green or Seth Curry to step it up. I mean, without, without Joel Embiid, can somebody please step it up offensively? And nobody did. You know who did? Tyrese Maxey off the bench. I give that man respect. He he played absolutely well last night. Off the bench, 15 points, 2 assists, 1 rebound. He shot 2 of 3 from the 3, 50% on 12 shots. So I'll give it up for him. He took the second most shots in the game. Tobias Harris, number one, and then Tyrese Maxey, number two, because somebody's got to shoot the ball here, and we know Danny Green and Seth Curry never truly step it up here, and that's really where this 76ers team will unravel. If Joel Embiid is out big time, there's no way they win the ring because nobody ever steps up besides Tobias Harris, and he's always consistent. Um, all right, uh, George Hill also off the bench, 14 points. He shot 3 of 5 from 3. He had a great night, a plus 2 on the floor and a loss. We'll give him that. 
Um, Matisse Dibule, eight points in only 15 minutes. He shot two of five from the three. So, um, and then Korkmaz, Firkin Korkmaz, only playing 11 minutes, seven points, three rebounds. And Dwight Howard, I was real interested that he didn't play a lot more minutes um, without Joel Embiid. Uh, he only played uh, 13 minutes and only had four rebounds. So a little bit of a flounder from Dwight Howard, which we aren't really too used to seeing off the bench. So just unfortunately, Joel Embiid, he's the lifeblood of this team. And without him, they can't do anything. So well done for the Wizards extending the series. I think they don't really do anything more in this series. But, you know, they go back to the 76ers with a chance. And that's all you need in this league. One chance. And, you know, with the heart and soul that Russell Wilson provide or Russell Westbrook provides every day, every game. That's all you need is a chance with him. So we'll see how they fare in game five. We'll see what's going on with Joel Embiid. But, uh, yeah, the 76ers could be in trouble if this uh, Joel Embiid injury is serious. I don't think it is, and I hope it's not, but we'll see. All right, and that leads us to the last game of last night, the Jazz and the Grizzlies. And once again, man, I don't like to complain about officiating. I truly don't, but this Grizzlies series is kill. It's it's hard for me to even watch, folks. Truly, I cannot get behind the calls that they are calling here. Dylan Brooks was once again in foul trouble the entire game. And I know he played a lot of minutes. He played 37 minutes, and he only had four fouls. But at the end of the first half, he could barely play because he already had three. And uh, so, and then he picked up the early fourth and the early third quarter once again, limiting his play style. We know he's an aggressive defender, but you know, if you're playing with four or five fouls, you really can't be that aggressive. And that's really just the 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 essence of what is going on. Once again, Dylan Brooks a plus two in the plus minus. All the other starters in minus territory, and that. I mean, when we talk about the the conspiracy of refs rigging games and the NBA rigging games, when we're talking all this, and you know, people are like, "Well, you know, uh, they there there's no fouls like every second. You know, they're just blowing one whistle here, one whistle there." But that's how you can control the game. Take the best defender and have him not be able to play that good defense because he's in foul trouble. That's the only. That's how you control the game. You don't have to make it obvious. It doesn't need to be. Uh, you know, that's why it is kind of a conspiracy if you're going to go down that road. It's like, oh, well, it's not blatant. It's not blatant. Well, of course it's not. It doesn't need to be. One foul here, one foul here on the right person at the right time. That's all it needs to be to change the entire outcourse of the game. And I'm not saying that happens. I'm just saying, you know, it, it is. it's a thought out there. It is a narrative that has some validity. I mean, we, we've all kind of seen it. And, you know, when we all see it, it's like, you know, oh, they're rigging the game. They're rigging the game. They're rigging the game. I don't truly believe it. But I believe there is some credence to that narrative. And I also don't like to go down that road because it's like at the end of the day, you still got to make the shots. You still got to do your thing. So, But with all that being said, do not like the officiating out here for this Grizzlies team. And I really think, I mean, this Grizzlies team, folks, uh, they go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Jazz, folks. I mean, they match up absolutely perfectly. And this Grizzlies team, they just get behind early on, and they're always playing from behind. Once again, the, the, the foul calls of just kind of calling it a little early on in the game, getting them down, because that's the thing that has hurt this Grizzlies team this entire series. They go down big, like 10-plus points, and then they're working their, the entire game to get back to even. And then when they get even, they're like, they flounder because they're like, all right, we haven't been in this situation, and they just can't clutch it up. This is a young team. John Morant's like 21, folks. This is a new young team here for the Grizzlies, and they just don't know how to be that clutch down the stretch. So we've seen it the last two games. They get down big, 10 points. They work their way up. They, get the, they tie it up or like a one-point lead.
in the fourth quarter. And then the Jazz three-point shooting opens it right back up to 10 points. And it's a double-digit loss. They lose by double digits. Uh, only by seven last night. So solid. But that's the thing about this Grizzlies team. And it's killing me to watch. Because this is a real good, solid Grizzlies team. And I would love to see them be uh, you know, tied 2-2. Up 3-1 against this Jazz team. But... Like I said, the the calls on Dylan Brooks are truly hurting this Grizzlies team. But let's start with the Jazz. Their three-point shooting, they're they're so freaking deep. It's a little unfair. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the uh, the Nats on their super team just because they've got the super superstars. But, man, oh, man, this Jazz team is deep, and they can all hit threes, and it's real freaking scary because it's dangerous. It's truly dangerous. So let's talk about this Jazz team first. Mike Connolly, 11 points, 7 assists. He shot 3 of 4 from the 3, hitting those lethal threes and the three-pointers were a huge momentum killer every time this Grizzlies tries to get back um, in uh, in the game and that's why I don't want to kind of you know oh the refs are deciding the game because the Jazz are going out extinguishing all these runs on threes three threes what they shoot from the three last night 17 they shot 17 of 34 from the three folks 50% as a team at the three line and hitting 17 fantastic work so that's why I'm not you know going down that narrative of oh the refs are rigging the game no the Jazz are still winning it's just you know it would have been a little bit more competitive throughout but very well done for the Jazz last night Mike Connolly like we said three or four from the three Donovan Mitchell 30 points eight assists he shot two of seven from the three not the greatest there but still able to put up the 30 points so dangerous there Rudy Gobert 17 points eight rebounds Royce O'Neal, nine points on three of five from the three. Bo- Bohan Bogdanovich, we can always rely on him. 13 points, three of five from the three. So all the starters were basically banging home those threes. And then, you know, obviously they got the sixth man of the year, Jordan Clarkson, 24 points. He took 18 shots, the second most on the team, and he only played 21 minutes. How funny is that? We, you know, that once again, we don't love Jordan Clarkson for sixth man of the year just because he takes the shots. He takes 18 shots. That's why he puts up the points. That's why he has the sets. But Jordan Clarkson, 24 points, 4 of 9 from 3, 6 rebounds to go along with that. So, um, who else? Um, George's Niang, also off the bench, 6 points in only 12 minutes, but he hit 2 of 2 from the 3. I mean, this man's a great bench player for this Jazz team. So, the 3s were on point last night. The Jazz were able to extinguish all those great defensive runs. The stops by the, uh, the, the stops that the Grizzlies were getting converting those to points, and the Jazz were able to stop that uh, with those three-point barrages. So I give credit to this Jazz team, um, but ah, man, oh man, the Grizzlies, they are so close. They are so close. All right, let's talk about this Grizzlies team now. John Morant, once again, not the most efficient, a little bit better than I think in Game 3 overall and when he was scoring getting out to a nice start early start but just couldn't really maintain it for the entire game but he put up 23 points and 12 rebounds I'll give him that absolutely six or 20 23 points and 12 assists I meant six rebounds he shot one of seven from three once again that's that's killing this Grizzlies team I mean they only hit 10 threes and they shot 28 percent on 35 threes so they both took the same amount of threes one shot 28 percent one shot 50 that's basically the game right there so this Grizzlies team, they just do not have those good three-point shooters. Grayson Allen is pretty solid off the bench. He's had a couple of good uh, shots this series. Unfortunately, floundered a little bit last night. We'll talk about him when we get down to the bench. Um, but John Morant, you know, one of seven from the three, 38% on 21 shots. Mm, just needed to be a little bit more efficient out there. 
Dylan Brooks, 21 points. He didn't hit a 3, 0 of 1 from the 3, but a plus 2 on the floor. John Morant was a minus 9. Um, Jonas Valanciunas is a minus 1. Jaron Jackson's a minus 3. Kyle Anderson's a minus 3. So once again, I mean, Dylan Brooks, that great defensive energy. When they're calling those ticky-tack calls, I don't love it at all. But Dylan Brooks, 21 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. He shot 46% on 15 shots. Not terrible. Jonas Valanciunas, 14 points, 12 rebounds. Real solid work out there last night against Gobert. Jaron Jackson Jr., 21 points, 6 rebounds, but he shot 3 of 10 from the 3. Could have been a lot more better. And then Kyle Anderson, 4 points on 28% shooting. I mean, they just don't have those natural outside shooters. Um, it's a lot. Everything's real close to the basket for this team. And, you know, it's decent It's decent to defend because they've got the defensive player of the year, most likely Rudy Gobert down low, so it's hard. And then you've got um, Royce O'Neal down low, that beef down low. You've got Georges Niang coming off the bench with that beef down low as well. So, you know, the, the Grizzlies, they need that outside shooting to open up the floor a little bit. And I don't know what they can do because they got Grayson Allen off the bench, eight points on two of seven from the three. Desmond Bain, seven points, and he shot 100%. That was fantastic. De'Anthony Melton, 15 points on three of six from three. We just need those starters to get it done. John Moran, please hit the three. Jaron Jackson Jr., please hit the three. Dylan Brooks, uh, he, uh, what is he averaging? What, what is his uh, points averaging in the regular season? He's averaging 17 points a game, which is is solid. Would like to see him. I want. What is his uh, threes? What's his three point percentage like? Alrighty, this year from three, he's he's shooting 34 percent from the three. So I mean that's above average. Average is like 33 percent. So just right there. So um, I mean, in just in his career, 35 percent, 37 percent, 35 percent. So he can hit the three. Just need his need a, need him to take more shots. But he can't take shots if he can't be aggressive and if he's not on the floor. So Dylan Brooks is the key in the series, and I think the refs are kind of locking him away a little bit, a little bit. All right. So that was all the basketball from last night. Let's get uh, let's see what we've got on tap for today. Three games on. Unfortunately, another game on NBA TV. How lame! All playoff games should have their own designated time slot. If that means playing two games a night only, so be it. But uh, the Blazers getting stuck on NBA TV. I mean, getting disrespected. I mean, you're not putting you're not putting the Lakers on NBA TV. You're not putting. The Clippers on NBA TV. You're not going to put the Nets on NBA TV. Uh, you put the Grizzlies on NBA TV. You put the Nuggets on NBA TV. And, you know, you're missing good play out here. Nobody talks about the Grizzlies. And this is a real solid good team out here, folks. This Grizzlies team honestly could run the gauntlet and make it to the finals. Honestly. They honestly could. That starting lineup is solid enough to do so defensively. Um, obviously, the offense needs a little bit of work. But, you know, if they if they get hot a night, a series... They could, they could honestly get there. But, you know, they're the ninth seed. They put them on NBA TV. Nobody wants to watch it. I want to watch it. Me. Me. I'm a fan. Just because y'all don't talk about them in the media doesn't mean they're not good. So the Nuggets get stuck on NBA TV tonight. How truly unfortunate. So we got Celtics Nets at 730. Blazers Nuggets 9 o'clock on NBA TV. And Lakers Suns 10 o'clock on TNT. So let's get these lines up to date. Let's get our moneymaker going. We hit the Grizzlies plus 5.5. That didn't hit. They lost by 7. And the 76ers minus 8.5. They didn't even win. So a big old swing and a miss yesterday. But, hey, you know, you learn, and we're going to hit it tonight. So um, why hit, you know, a little bit of a two-teamer when we can hit the three-teamer the next night? Right? Right? Come on, guys. Uh, so here we go. 
Whoa, man. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Vegas is truly stepping up their spread game here. First game up, Celtics, Nets. Celtics plus 12 and a half. Nets minus 12 and a half at home back in Brooklyn. All righty. Here we go. For the Celtics, Kemba Walker is a game time decision, and so is Robert Williams. We need both of them to play if they want a chance to win. Let's see if we can refresh NBA Fantasy Labs and see if we get anything clear on these two players. Does not seem like we have any more information. Uh, Kemba Walker is doubtful for Tuesday. Robert Williams is doubtful for Tuesday. So we're going to assume these game time decisions are going to be out. So no Kemba Walker, no Robert Williams. So, of course, we have to take the Nets minus 12 and a half. That's nothing. There's uh, like uh, Robert Williams is you know a solid big out there. Tristan Thompson has been playing well this season. So I won't call Robert Williams the best big, but he's a solid relief big for the back and really their only other big that they have and Kemba Walker he's the floor facilitator and a nice kind of 20 points that we can kind of consistently rely on so we get no Kemba Walker that's 20 points uh, we get no Robert Williams that means that Blake Griffin can go and eat down low and be coveted as you know old Blake Griffin even though he's going to get exposed when he has to go to the next round against the Bucks. good luck Blake because uh, this is your last good game here so We'll swallow the 12 and a half here for the Nets. Nets at home looking to close out the season so they can get to the Bucks. I mean, the longer they go in the season, the more rest the Bucks have. And a well-rested Giannis and Brooke Lopez down low, that's something that the Nets do not want to face. So the Nets are looking to close out as soon as possible. Had a little bit of a hiccup in game number three, but uh, they're back at home here. Expect this crowd to be rocking and roaring, and they get it done. So we'll swallow the 12 here for the Nets. It's not competitive. If they had Robert Williams and Kemba Walker, I think I would have taken the Celtics plus 12 and a half. But, you know, they're going to be – they're doubtful. We're not expecting them to play. So it's just there. there's nothing that we can really cling on to for the Celtics team to get the win. So Nets minus 12 and a half. Alrighty, next game up is the Nuggets and the Blazers. Series tied 2-2 back in Denver. Blazers plus 2, Nuggets minus 2. Real tight spread here. Uh, everybody's going to go for the Blazers and for the Nuggets. Will Barton is still out. P.J. Dozier is still out. Damn, man. I don't even know if they're ever going to come back, but man, oh man. They definitely need them for that bench, but... Real close series here, um, kind of going back and forth every single game. It's the scoreability of the Blazers. That's what they rely on. Is Carmelo going to give us that 10-plus points off the bench? Is Norman Powell going to give us 20 points with McCollum and um, Damian Lillard out, that, out there? That's really what this Blazers team relies on. But I'm going to take it with the Nuggets here. I'm taking the home team. Nuggets, Jokic down low. Hopefully, you know, this team can kind of make up for that lackluster bench. Hopefully, we need Austin Rivers to have a good game. I mean, that's really what it depends on for this Nuggets team. We need Michael Porter Jr. to get it done as well. He's been real solid. He had a bad game. Like, one, one of these games, I think he only put up like five points or something. It was really kind of unacceptable. Um, but it, that was like a little outlier game for them. Um, so I'm going to take the Nuggets here down low. Joke, it gets it done. Uh, Facundo Capazzo, I can rely on him in this series, folks. He's real solid out there. So the Blazers, they need to be on scoring, outside shooting. And this Nuggets team, yes, they need to be the outside shooting to be done. But we just need Joke to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Nurchic. And usually he's able to do that. So we'll swallow the two here for the Nuggets. Back at home, pivotal game five here to go up 3-2. So we're going to count on the Nuggets to get it done.
And then the last game of the night, the Lakers and the Suns. And this spread is how it should be. So we respect them, uh, Vegas, for doing this. Um, and once again, kind of tells us that Anthony Davis is probably not good to go. KCP is a game-time decision. Anthony Davis is a game-time decision. I'm expecting Anthony Davis not to play this game. KCP potentially plays, but who cares? <laughs> Honestly, who cares? Um, the Suns. Chris Paul's a game time decision, and if he played in game four, he's going to play in game five because he looked good in game four. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming Chris Paul plays. Anthony Davis does not. KCP, I truly do not care if he does. It does not affect my decision. So we're going to take the Suns minus five here. Suns at home. We just heard LeBron try to, you know, starting to temper down the expectations, looking for that kind of exit, exit strategy here. You know, if they lose, he's got the he's got the excuse, he's got the bailout. Um, and if they win, you know, he's the king and he's the goat and he's the greatest basketball ever, grace planet Earth. Thank you, LeBron. Um, we bow down to LeBron. Uh, but the Suns team, I mean, it's really just Chris Paul, man. That's really all it comes down to. Is he healthy enough to go to be productive? Because his defense, he can lock up Dennis Schroeder, once again, taking away an offensive weapon for the Lakers, and they are very dwindling there in offensive weapons. He's a great floor facilitator, point God. I mean, respect the nickname, folks, CP3 point God. Respect it. Um, what else we need here is DeAndre Ayton, or not DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker to really kind of score the ball. We need him to put up, honestly, like 25 to 30 points every single game here. He's been a little lackluster this score, this series, shooting the ball, scoring the ball. The Lakers defense with AD and LeBron um, have been able to kind of lock it up decently. So we need Devin Booker to show up. And what was great from last game is Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder's a huge piece here, folks. And I don't want to hear any Jay Crowder slander. Oh, he's not hitting the three consistently. Okay, it, it was a little awkward. Off in a couple of games here, but overall we can rely on it. And that defense, folks, his defense. He, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. And I don't care. He's the best defender on the Suns team. Maybe not as better as Chris Paul, but he's up there. He's tied as Chris Paul. He's a great defender down low. And now no Anthony Davis. He can lock up whoever they stick in as that fourth. If Kyle Kuzma's gonna play the four, good luck. Good luck. Well, maybe LeBron slides down to the four. Kuzma slides up to the three. Whatever their lineup's gonna be, whoever's at the four, Jay Crowder can lock up, folks. Is it a coincidence that the Heat got to the finals with Jay Crowder and they get swept the first round without him? No, no, it's not, folks. Give Jay Crowder his due. I'm giving his. I, I would bet. I, I I'll take this. Uh, the Suns minus five. If and nobody else was playing. It was just Jay Crowder versus the starting five of the Lakers. I still take the Suns minus five. That's how much I believe in Jay Crowder. So give that man his respect. So uh, that's our moneymaker for tonight. Nuts minus 12 and a half. Nuggets minus two. And the Suns minus uh, five. Taking the home team. Swallowing the points here. And uh, these teams are going to get it done. So, Alrighty. That is going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. We're back tomorrow live noon Eastern as we do it all again. Stories. Basketball. We'll try to get to the NFC South tomorrow, we promise. Um, or maybe we'll just do it quick. Maybe we'll just do it quick tomorrow. Um, do we even care anymore? Do do we care? It's the draft. It's over. It's over, folks. Do y'all care about the grades? I do. A little bit. But uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see uh, what happens tomorrow on the show. I mean, we spent an hour on the stories today. A lot of good stories to talk through. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow, folks. Doing it all again. Go enjoy those three games of basketball on today because, like I said, they are going to start dwindling. Dwindling. We're going to get, like, two. Then it's going to go down to one. So, enjoy. We, do, we get no more four days. Four games a day. So, enjoy these three games a day while they still are here. And, uh, yeah, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching, and we're back tomorrow, folks.